so uh, what, what is this show about? What did we What did we watch? We watch movies. <clears throat> yeah, I know, but like, what did we watch this time? What was? Oh, we watched a bunch of stuff. What's our I topics? watched. I watched six titles since oh, the gosh. last time we talked, including our feature and one other one that's easily dismissed quickly. Um, an interesting mix. I didn't see any like. I saw two new titles that were both documentaries. Right. I watched. I watched, uh, and I think you watched the same too. I watched um, the one that I, I wasn't even going to bring up. It was um, Adam Sandler's "You Don't Mess with the Zohan," oh, which was just a Sandler movie that I had missed. It was like a blind spot in my Sandler, you know, uh, repertoire. And then I heard on a podcast somebody say it was underrated, and they're wrong. It's bad. Oh, real bad, huh? I mean, it's okay. It's 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 funny. It's written by Robert Smigel and Judd Apatow, who are very funny mm-hmm. people, and it's got some crazy shit in it, and it's funny, but it's also has uh john Turturro and rob schneider playing palestinian terrorists so huh. that's got that going on i mean i can totally see them doing that right you know not, it's not good no but, like i don't need to see it to know exactly what that was like right <laughs> and it has you know the the i guess what at the time passed for edgy geopolitical israel palestine commentary that is just kind of cringy and dumb but right anyway um that's that so that's done and then i don't think we ever talked about this but i actually watched coherence oh you did at your recommendation oh coherence yes i can't wait to talk about it yeah and i forgot i watched it i feel like there's one other thing but that must be it i can never remember what i watch yeah. I wa- I turn so many things on, and many times I don't really pay attention to them. Oh, Hamilton is the best thing that I watched since. Oh we yeah, I watched Hamilton too. Are you a Hamilton aficionado? Uh, I I am now. I, I've had the album for a few years, and I I you know I busted out once in a while, but I was never. I never like memorized everything. It was just always mm-hmm. kind of admiration from a distance, and having seen the performance, oh my god! Isn't that an amazing uh, achievement? It's a work of genius. Yeah. And the perform yeah, and the film is very, very good. A very good document mm-hmm. of an amazing production. Yeah, it's a great film. So that's yeah, I mean I don't it seems like very basic and obvious to gush about Hamilton, but that truly was the best thing that I that I watched since our last show. Yeah, that in, the interesting thing piece that I saw was kind of like cuz it's always going to get backlash from the puritanical left, right? And I can include right. myself in that sometimes of, you know, well, these are slaveholders and they're really terrible people and they're being heralded as heroes. And why are we telling more white men's stories, even if people who are black or Latinx play them, you know? Um, right. And the the piece that I read was talking about how like Hamilton exists today in a different world from when it premiered in 2016, you know, mm-hmm. when it came in, you know, spring of 2016 and Hillary's going to be president and our our image of American exceptionalism, we want to look like this, like this cast of uh, people of color who are super talented, you know, bringing all their excellence to their art. And that, that's kind of like that was 2016 Hamilton. <laughs> and yeah. now uh, that's that's not the world we live in. And people are approaching Hamilton in a much different way. I think that's that's interesting. But it doesn't take away from the fact that it's a brilliant artistic achievement on every level. The design, yeah. direction, choreography, the cast is a dream. To me, I would be 
on anxiety medication constantly if I were in that show. Like right. everything just happens so fast and there's not a right. moment for a mistake. There's not an unchoreographed second. It's crazy. Nobody lets their guard down and has a moment. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. If you lose your place in, in one of those raps, like if yeah. you're uh, Renee Lee Goldsberry or David Diggs, especially, like, what are you going to do? Just, right. just walk off stage. Right. You know, yeah. go start a new life because right. Right. there's no, there's no saving any, any moment that goes yeah. wrong. I kind of bought, I just accepted it as an artistic aspect of the piece that this is Hamilton reinterpreted through uh this individual creative person and then through this whole company of people of color immigrants this mm -hmm. this energy i i didn't find i didn't even find the urge to sit in judgment of it of not being accurate i, I felt like that was the whole point right is that it brings an intentional heightened energy to it and says why don't we get a chance to tell an american story for once and, and this is what resonates with us yeah, and the story is actually interesting. That's its trump card, right? Where right. the story of Alexander Hamilton, whether some details are not exactly right, whatever, the story that Miranda tells is an interesting one. And it yeah. brings in uh, founding politics. And there are enough characters you've heard of from history class that you have a point of reference. And I, I think that it's, it is educational and wildly entertaining and deeply moving. Yeah. And I had watched the entire thing and was done and moved on with my day before I saw someone else point out I'm not throwing away my shot is it is has like double meaning. Yeah. Resonating with the ending. I did not put that together oh, yeah. at any point in the past or now. Yeah, he keeps on uh, he throws away a shot. Spoiler. Yeah, right. You know. Literally. Um anyway, so yeah. Five stars. Yeah. It's it's great. Watch it. So good. Some people are like, "Oh, I've watched it three or four times today." That's a lot for me. I'm glad that they're enjoying it. I I can't yeah. have this twelve hour commitment to watch right. Hamilton. I guess if yeah. I were like fourteen, you know, how many times did I watch Into the Woods in those days? You know, yeah. I'll I'll let them have it. Whereas before, I have put on the 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 cast album since watching it. But I find now, whereas before I used to jump around to the bits that I thought were cool, now I find myself absorbed and I want to keep listening mm -hmm. in, in order. But uh, Shireen hasn't seen it yet, and I want to watch it with her, but I'm nervous because she's very particular about musical endeavors. Oh, I feel like Shireen would like it. The I think she will. I think she'll respond to the to the energy of it and buy yeah. into it, and then she'll she'll love it. And the vocals are good. Like Yeah, yeah. I mean, oh, I know. Every, I, pristine. Every performance is incredible. Right. Yeah, I, I feel like especially the the women they're they're very good. Uh, do we want to talk documentaries or do we want to talk um, coherence? Because coherence is an interesting one. Let's let's uh, put coherence between the two so we don't have documentaries back to back. Okay. Okay. Uh, so disclosure. It's uh, so this is. I mean, I'm sure anybody who has Netflix has seen this already. A couple weeks ago, it was it was at least pushed to the top of my recommendations and it's directed by Sam Fader and it stars, uh, I mean, it's a documentary with a lot of talking heads, including Laverne Cox and Bianca Lee and Jen Richards. Um, is, is it correct that every, every talking head that appears in the movie is, is a trans person? Yes. I, I believe that is true. Yeah. 
And it is, it starts off kind of as just a cataloging uh, and, and a walk down memory lane for these individuals about uh, their experiences with specifically trans, but also in general, queer uh, representation in American media. And what a kind of abysmal track record that is and, and what it was like to a young person uh, discovering things about themselves to, to see um, the way routinely this is treated as either a horror and then eventually it evolves into a joke. Um, and I, I, don't, I really, I found this to be upsetting to confront these things, but very valuable and I appreciated it. And um, I don't know, I'm a dumb cis guy who puts my foot in my mouth whenever I try to talk about these things. So I just want to like learn things and be quiet and listen. So I enjoyed watching it. I guess if I had a takeaway, uh, something I already knew, but it helped put this more in perspective uh, as to exactly why it's not helpful. And in fact, uh, harmful to focus on things like transition and uh, you know, surgery and genitals when talking about these things mm -hmm. and how, um, it's about, uh, human beings and their, their ambition and their identity and all those things. So I, I don't know, I really thought this was well done. I appreciated having this kind of concentrated dose of being exposed to something, uh, that I'm happy to understand better. Yeah, I enjoyed it too. I, I find some of it challenging in a good way where I see some of the representation that they um, are speaking against and I go, oh, that's harmless. But of course, mm. my thinking that is part of the problem, you know, and if I really examine, well, why do I feel that's harmless? And why couldn't I listen to what this person has to say when they're laying out their perspective in such a clear and understandable way? And I'm just like, yeah, I guess they're right. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. I, I guess I guess I'm totally wrong to, to say that, that that is just fine when when in fact it's not. It's just fine for me, I guess but it's not fine for others. Um, I thought it was interesting when they were talking about the harm of cisgender people playing trans roles and why that is, yeah, because yeah. it leads to these ideas that the person is acting or deceiving when you see them in their cisgender life in the media um, and it be, being so apart from their character that they're playing. It's not like if a trans woman plays a trans woman, you would continue to see her as the woman she is in the rest of her life, right? And yeah, yeah. and that is, that's a very different thing. And I don't want to stand on laurels of progress because there's so much ground to still cover in Hollywood and in the greater society. But I was thinking th there's a lot more awareness of trans identity and issues that you know jared leto that performance winning an oscar that wasn't very long ago what was that like right. five years ago yeah. that would be unthinkable today right not very that would not be lauded that would be completely condemned on twitter that performance um nothing to say of his performance but just his being cast right yes right um, so there is some progress, I think, in awareness being made, and there are trans people who are incredibly talented and in an industry yeah. uh, where it's not easy to get roles. And so when there are trans roles, then my goodness, why wouldn't you give them to a person who is trans? 
Right. And and living at a time to be able to see them given an opportunity to perform, but also seeing them in there's much more, quote, reality TV. So seeing them able to tell their own stories and even being able to have a voice in a, in a documentary like this, I found that um, interesting and encouraging. I have this habit where I often message you in the middle of a movie mm-hmm. with like my initial impressions before I've had a time to sit with it. So I really, I think I wrote you during this one and I was like, Oh, this is grim. This is bad. I can't take this. Cause I found the, the, the first half hour or so upsetting, uh, just because I felt, I felt complicity in, in making it a joke and, and realizing mm-hmm. that this entire segment of, of people had been kind of relegated to this, um, whatever, but yeah, it does get a lot more hopeful towards the end. And not in a kind of a, of a Pollyanna way and not in a way it, it they clearly is saying we're not there yet. It's not like over, but like, um, yeah, it's a different time. And just the fact that there's this many recognizable faces of trans people that are um, able, as I say, to tell their own story. And, and only one of the Wachowskis appears, Lily, not mm-hmm. uh, Lana. But hey, we will take as many Wachowskis as we can get. Do you watch Pose? Uh, I do not. Oh, I would Should highly, I? I would highly recommend Pose to you. Yeah, it's okay. one of the best things to come out lately, and the mm. I think two full seasons are available on Netflix, and okay. that has a primarily uh, trans cast, mm-hmm. and uh, Billy Porter, of course, in his yeah. Emmy winning part. It's yeah. so, it's so, it's such a great show. It's so entertaining. Oh, good. All right. Um, all right. I guess that means that you that you get to introduce Coherence. I do get to introduce to us. Okay. How do you, so, how to do that? Um, I don't remember where I came across this. Sometimes I'll just be on Twitter and someone will be like, Oh, under appreciated film this. I just loved it. Anybody else seen it sort of thing. And then I'll look it up. And so I think maybe that's what happened when I looked up coherence. Um, it is an American science fiction thriller film directed by James Ward Birkett in his directorial debut, obviously. And the film had a debut in 2013. And there's a woman who must deal with strange occurrences, <laughs> putting it mildly, sure. following the close passing of a comet. So this is a story quite purposefully without a center. I found it more interesting when I was reading some of the uh, story of its creation where um, the screenwriter, uh, I mean, who's also the director, Ward Burkett, he kind of in a uh, Russell Crowe in what's the movie where he's a beautiful mind where he's off in his shed. That was what the screenplay looked like, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's just like little snippets all trying to string together. And he figured out this elaborate plot and he only gave it to the actors what they were doing scene to scene. And so they didn't know where they were going. And the whole thing's improvised. They weren't given dialogue. And it, and it feels like that. It feels almost Altman-esque where everyone's just sort of talking at once around this party. These party guests show up and then the electricity goes out and they notice one house still has electricity and so they're going to go see what it is. We come to find it's the same house and they are just parallel realities. And there are many parallel realities. And as people go back and forth from house to house, they find they're passing into many, many different realities such that they can't be sure if they've made it back to the original house. 
and then they're just accepted wherever they land. And what did you think of, I mean, what, what sense did you make of this movie? I found it to be pretty interesting. Yeah, it's very interesting. From from the explanation, from if you just described it to someone, it sounds like a disaster. Or it sounds potentially mm-hmm. disastrous. And I will say that it um oh, it's one of my least favorite things on podcasts when people say I will say and then say something. I did think that it was very obviously uh, I don't want to use the word amateur because I think it's better than that, but it's yeah. just clearly starving actors right. and filmmakers getting a chance to make something and has very much let's put on a show it felt so much like college theater to me um the vibe of the improv around the party scenes and all that for better and worse for the choices that people made in terms of when they're when the mood is still high and they're joking you know they made a lot of cringy choices i think of how to like talk to each other but I don't know something about it still was cozy to me. It still was familiar and I liked it. And then I, at this uh, getting into the plot, then I actually feel like it helps this movie and what it's about. If you can get it, what it's about that it is kind of piecemeal and improvised because then I don't know if it felt more polished and crafted. Well, then I feel like that makes a promise to you as a viewer that right. it's all going to add up and it's going to pay off. And I didn't quite feel that. So I kind of was just experiencing it with the actors. You know, they're good. It's not bad. It feels amateurish. It's shot on video. Clearly, it's uh, actors you don't recognize, which I think may help it. I actually did recognize a couple of them. The big, the bald guy, I recognize him, the guy with the beard. Hmm. Um, and the lead is very good. Emily Baldoni is her name. Yeah. She's a good, uh, good protagonist. I don't know that it... <laughs> I don't know. I was with it. I, I enjoyed watching it. I appreciate it. I think appreciate's a good word. Yeah. I didn't love it. It didn't blow my mind. It was, I just am kind of glad it exists. I looked it up on Ebert. He, he was gone when this movie came out, but mm. Matt Zoller sites reviewed it and was very, very charitable to it. And you know, one of those things where you, it shows the promise of a filmmaker. And I think that's true. It does. I, I think it showed the inexperience in the lack of exposition because I mm-hmm. think had it been given a more solid, grounded beginning where we could have understood who was who to each other, I felt like the characters weren't properly introduced. Mm-hmm. I didn't get that her boyfriend was even at the party until later. <laughs> right. Why are they on the phone if they're about to be in the same space? Exactly. When the, it feels when like the, he's far away, yeah. Right, and when the other husband and him come in together, I thought they were, I thought they were a couple the two men Mm -hmm. because they arrived together and you know, it just appeared to be that way. But, and no, this one is with that cleric Beth, you know, who's just nosy. And it seemed like these people wouldn't be friends in life. They they all seemed Mm kind of strange, but whatever. I, I felt like had the beginning made it a little more clear who was arriving together, who was who, what the stakes were like about how, if she was going to move or not, you know, I felt like a lot of that was there's so much mystery in what's going on in the main plot that you don't want mystery on the stuff that doesn't matter, you know, because right. I was still trying to piece together the characters and their stories when really that wasn't yeah. the point. That's true. If you if you want to do a, a thriller about quantum right. parallel universes, yeah, you better establish a concrete, solid, relatable universe to begin with. Because why and yet, would... Go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. And yet I don't feel like it's a complete disaster. I no, still feel like... No, it's not at all. I the... want to give it credit for what does work. Yeah, what does work works really well. 
I think had it been more grounded, there might have been a little more emotional connection too with caring where the characters ended up. Because I'm thinking if I'm in that situation and I find out I'm 13 realities from where I started, but I have no control over that, why would I care? I, yeah. I would just, you know, and all the realities seem to be mostly the same except for that one that uh, Baldoni encounters where she has a better relationship with her partner and she decides to kill the girl in it. I had right. a question about that because it seems as they passed through the various realities, they take on that identity in that reality. There's never mm-hmm. two of anybody. Right. You know, right, because a, her, her man, Kevin did that previously, right? Right. He approached her by the car and it wasn't right. the right Kevin. Exactly. Exactly. So I, and then he beats that and she beats that girl and, but then what will happen in another reality? She's just gone. Right. And then who's calling him at the end, which, which M. Right. And it's so weird. Like right. the, these people who are, I don't know, I don't know how old they're supposed to be. I have no eye for that, but thirties or forties, maybe um, you all stayed over. Is that how you have dinner parties? Right. You emerge from a shower with a towel on like it's college. What happened? Right. And, wouldn't some percentage of them just get in their car and leave? Right. Why are they all st- we're stuck here? What are you? What are you How are you stuck here? Years old? Are you stuck here? Right. And so I felt like some different grounding for the beginning and the end would have made a stronger movie because what they had going mm-hmm. on in the center was fascinating. Now that bit at the end where she's kind of spiraling through the various realities for a moment weirdly reminded me of Vivarium. Hmm. which has kind of a somewhat similar conceit at the end with uh, Imogen Poots' character. But uh, again, I, it's, been, it's like not the first time I've compared a, a low-budget sci-fi movie we've watched to that one. But that one has um, s- stars and production value, mm-hmm. and it's much worse than this movie. Yeah, I, I admire what this movie does with unrecognizable actors uh, and um, and really no special effects apart from what probably a comet in the sky that I think is digital. Mm-hmm. And then a, a process shot where the same actors in it twice, I think only, only one or two shots like that towards the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and then using very mundane props to kind of tell very complicated science fiction stories. I, I kind of admire that. Yeah. I was intrigued to, to decide not to use special effects. Yeah. I was intrigued throughout and I liked the way that they discovered all the clues and pieces and what was going on as they were interacting with their own house as people from other realities uh, and realizing who was original to the house because they've never left and who left together. And so they're maybe in the same thing. I found that to be fun. Yeah. This is a movie where I would particularly enjoy if there was a director's commentary or even a cast commentary because i'm sure there's some interesting stories about what it took to get this made and maybe even just to hear the director's thought process a little bit and maybe tell us you know the little things like the uh who's the the interloper lauren is that her name Lori, who comes on to kevin at one point like you know is that the same one or did she sneak in from another reality or what you know like i don't know little I'm sure there's stuff like that throughout the whole thing where it's left to your imagination. But um, I always just would like to know more about the intent of the creative folks. 
Yeah, I was confused about her character, and I wish that they had established that a little better, where it said, oh, he's bringing her, and everyone just sort of goes silent that they all understand what that means, but the audience doesn't know what that means. Are are you right. broken up, and this is the new girlfriend that everyone kind of doesn't like? Is she right. a, a vixen and a homewrecker? She seems and they to be... spilled some of those beans that she used to be with Mike. Yeah. Who's now married to Lee or whoever. Right. Yeah, it's... And but she... yeah, it's not enough, and it's, it's doled out slowly. Meanwhile, she seemed to be one of the more balanced and kind people at the party, apart from her behavior. You know, like, I right, felt like right. she was being treated by everyone with such hostility at dinner yeah. when she was trying to inquire about their lives. Right. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it, this is worth checking out if you like that this sort of thing. Yeah. And it's a thinker and it's, you know, it give it some... Give it some love. Oh, you don't know me. You get to do this one. Uh, okay. Hold on. RuPaul last season had a Rusical where... Oh. That was that was of this name, but not in reference to this. Oh, it was a oh. it was a uh, send up of the cell block tango. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> I'm just saying, you don't know me. I mean, hearing the song that they did, it made quite an impression on me. That one episode from six see. months ago. Yeah, you don't know me is uh, I guess it's new to Amazon and streaming, but it's a 2019 documentary film. Uh, about Paul Verhoeven's notorious, infamous film, Showgirls. This documentary is directed by Jeffrey McHale and features uh, appearances by many of the actors from the film and filmmakers, including uh, Paul Verhoeven and Showgirls writer Joe Esterhaus, Gina Gershon, uh, Kyle MacLachlan, and of course, Elizabeth Berkley. Um. So a lot of this is going to come down to your one's interest in showgirls. It um, a lot of people like to watch it as a bad movie. Other people kind of indulge in it as a camp movie or a so good, so bad it's good kind of a movie. This film tries to uh, wrestle with its legacy and and its content and its creators. And at one point, um, one of the featured critics uh, labels it a um, masterpiece of shit, which I think is. Uh, interesting Mm -hmm. um but yeah even the fact you're just taking this movie seriously enough for 90 minutes to explore and and look at its uh, origins it i think it might not be as complicated as this movie makes it it's just a filmmaker with some you know proclivities a european filmmaker who thinks americans are crazy and that we uh love violence and get creeped out by sex and he likes to make us uncomfortable i also think that the movie kind of gives a pass to Joe Esterhaus, who I think might be a little more uh, culpable for some of the more toxic elements of this movie. But anyway, I don't know. I think Showgirls is fun and silly and crazy. I feel bad for Elizabeth Berkley that mm-hmm. she thought she was diving into serious acting. I think if she'd done a few uh, movies that audiences embraced before this, then this wouldn't have tanked her career. But I think by kind of jumping right into this, uh, it didn't, go well for her and it's bittersweet to see her now to see her showing up at that screening this footage in this movie where she kind of embraces it and the crowd is warm to her but i just felt like i don't know i wish i wish she had had more opportunity i i thought this was fun i thought it went a little overboard with the analysis but what'd you think dan 
Yeah, I agree. I, I just like to watch anything that has to do with showgirls. It's not like that's like a favorite movie of mine or something. I think it is way better than it got credit for. Um, it's just so bizarre and and well done in its bizarreness. You know, like if you're going to go in a barrel over the falls, take the barrel over the falls and right. they do. You know, I feel bad for Elizabeth Berkley. Um, she is such a, what's the word I want? I don't want to say like unique talent, like she's good. But I'm saying like, even when she was on Saved by the Bell, there was something about her that seemed like she was 30 years old and the cast was teens, you know, right. there's yeah. just something about her. She has a presence for sure. Yeah. And I'm, and she doesn't seem fresh faced. And I don't mean that in a insulting way, but I'm saying for who this character was supposed to be like a young ingenue, she looks like she's already uh, been beaten right. over three times by Las Vegas. You know, yeah. she's not the she's not naive like the character right and it was interesting to hear the analysis about how she was directed because i am i've not been in a film before you know i imagine if you're taking direction from a from a director that you know you you respect uh what they're doing um you you do it and then they use the takes that they take and it's not until you see it on screen all put together um and edited and um scored and produced and whatever that you really see what you look like and she really did look foolish in a lot of in a lot of the movie and she really did get the brunt of the blame for the movie's um lack of success meanwhile you've got um gina gershon who knew what she was in i feel like she was one of the only cast members who did and she played it perfectly and she came out unscathed you know yeah um I want to go back to something you mentioned that the the, the documentary makes a point uh, that saying this is not a badly made film. And I think right. that's true. Paul Verhoeven is a very gifted visual filmmaker mm -hmm. and people make the mistake of calling this a shitty movie or a bad movie. No. It's an over the top camp and movie and a flop. It's, right. it's the audience is it's notoriously unsuccessful, but it's directed more than competently. Right. The dialogue and the plot and the performances are ridiculous, but the filmmaking itself, the craft is very good. Yeah. So I don't know if I have much more to say about it than that, but um, I was glad I watched it, you know. Oh, yeah. I would have rather just watched Showgirls again, if I'm honest. Yeah. But it was it was interesting. Yeah. All right. Uh, that's You Don't Know Me. I, I had to rent that, I think, on Amazon Prime. Let's take a little break, Dan, and then when we come back, we're going to talk about this week's feature presentation of Sideways. Welcome back. This is Holds Up with Dan and Josh. You already know that. You're halfway through it. I do not have extensive notes about this week's feature, Sideways. Dan, why'd you pick Sideways? I don't know. I, I watched this when it came out. And at the time, I really resonated with the Giamatti character. And then I just kind of like left it. 
and I didn't return to it, and I almost forgot what it was really about. And since we've had so many episodes, and we have to keep on, you know, choosing titles. Yeah. This is the one um, I thought like of this time. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah. So, Sideways, 2004, American comedy drama road film directed by Alexander Payne and written by Jim Taylor and Payne. And this is an adaptation of Rex Pickett's novel of the same name. Now, I was, after watching it again, because I was just waiting for the word sideways throughout to understand the title. And Mm -hmm. it it wasn't there as far as I could see. And so, you know, sideways title meaning, you know, on Google. And I discovered that in the novel, sideways is the term the characters use to refer to drunkenness. I was Mm -hmm. a little sideways. And in the novel, that's perfectly clear. You'd think they would have used that in the screenplay, especially since they titled it. And side and there's also conversations in the book about how sideways is the best way to store wine to let it grow and be its full self mm-hmm. um and so you look at the movie poster and indeed there's a sideways wine bottle with depictions of giamatti and um thomas hayden church sideways together in a like they're becoming more robust versions of themselves i guess like a like a fine wine so Perhaps. the poster gets it, but the movie the doesn't. The poster gets it, but the movie doesn't explain it. But it didn't seem to hurt the movie at all. Um, and when I was doing a, a little reading about it, Merlot sales went down 2% after this movie, and um, mm-hmm. Pinot Noir went up 16% the wow. same year. And there's a study that does make the correlation that says the reason for the increased Pinot sales was sideways and its impact. Wow. Yeah. So this is one of those little indie that could kind of things, right? Um, yep. And everybody loved it. Success, right? Yeah, everybody loved it. It was the you know fifth best picture nominee. Frankly, I don't know that it was actually fifth, but you know, in those days when there were five, kind of the fun mm-hmm. comedy, you know, always ended up as the fifth nominee. So we've yeah. got uh, two men in their forties, Miles, played by Paul Giamatti, who is depressed and unsuccessful and alcoholic, and you've got Jack, played by Thomas Hayden Church who is an actor, but not really an actor anymore. He had some mild success in the past, but lately he's doing voiceover and commercial work. They take a week-long road trip to Santa Barbara wine country because Jack is getting married later, uh, I guess later that week. So uh, they stop at a restaurant that is known to Miles. He frequents when he goes to wine country. And they meet Maya, who's played by Virginia Madsen. Wonderful performance. Such a warm, winning performance. Mm -hmm. And um, then they also meet along the way Sandra Oh, who plays a wine pourer at one of the wineries. And as a foursome, they enjoy some frolic together and some reflection on the meaning of wine and life. And Jack gets himself into trouble with uh, Sandra Oh's character, Stephanie, kind of leading her along <laughs> um, in any situation, but certainly uh, he's a cad for doing it on the week he's about to get married. Uh, Miles and Maya begin to come together, but then their uh, beginning relationship is threatened when she realizes the deception about the wedding. And yeah, I I I really enjoyed this rewatch, you know, like a fine wine myself. I've aged a bit. 
since mm-hmm. the first time since the first time I saw it. And for me personally, like this was before I was a heavy drinker, so I think I didn't resonate as much with that. And this time I'm just from the very beginning, I'm just like, oh, oh no, like painful, all the all the alcoholic nonsense that he's doing and just yeah just oh the the drunk dialing and the just how the the bottles just keep flowing and everything centers around how he'll be able to drink it, it's it's just painful um and i want to talk about the ending in a bit but i'll let me hear your thoughts on it um i i know you've seen it um back in the day and maybe even more recently yeah so my first viewing is that was actually quite recent so oh, i this was a blind spot for huh. me, and it was one that I was just, you know, I needed to get to. Um, this rewatch was not, it was a rewatch. This was not my first viewing, but it was only, a, it was 2018 or 19 that I finally uh, pulled the trigger on it. But I think I didn't, I think I didn't give it full uh, attention and, and opportunities because I, th- I, I, in my memory, I just thought it was, I didn't get what it, what the hype was. I thought it was kind of abrasive and unpleasant. Um, but in hindsight, I think I was just distracted. I think I didn't give it my full attention, put it on in the background. So I watched it again and I really, I watched it, watched it. Like I, I got into it and, um, it holds up great in a way that a lot of indies from that time, I'm guessing would not, I feel like that's a tribute to the, the skills of pain and then the performers, um maybe it's it's got it's got a it's also an indie that has a trendy premise of kind of the wine or you know wine country tour and all that stuff and it was part of like a a zeitgeisty thing but it's not really about the wine it's it's about relationships and it's i feel like as an it's not Payne's first film is that correct i don't think it's his first but it's an early pain and it's yeah. a great an- announcement of his skills um but I think as I told you after the second viewing, I admired it. I enjoyed it. It's funny. It's good. It's well done. It, it doesn't really like, um, it, it doesn't resonate with me personally. Like I don't understand these people's world and their lives, but that's what movies are for. You not you don't have to, the movie gives you a chance to do that. And so I think this is a, a solid indie comedy that is still funny. I feel like pain. I always feel like pain. I'm his movies are shaggy and they're really he kind of revels in unpleasantness that I think he thinks is funny and an ugliness of human beings and characters and relationships and revelations and conflicts and that I he's good at it I just sometimes it's it's it fatigues me a little bit and this movie certainly has a lot of that I'll side note this that um I've not seen Citizen Ruth but that was 96 of Payne's Mm. Oh, and wow. He did election and about Schmidt before this one. Oh, that's okay. Yeah. So this is by no means early pain. This is uh pain's already established then. Mid, there's mid pain. Mid pain. Yeah. I, um, I, I could, um, identify with these characters. I feel like I was on my own path to being Giamatti and still can be on my bad days where, um, I'm just kind of depressive and feel that I'm entitled to, be a lead balloon and um be annoying to people but since i show up and you know plan a trip they need to be nice to me and mm-hmm. and enable my worst uh vices huh. um I, I like thomas hayden church a lot in this even yeah. though he's 
kind of a moron. To me, that was a fully bodied um, portrayal of a person like that. There are people like that who are mm-hmm. just kind of like the these good time guys and they hang out with guys like me. I guess I know them because I'm the other guy, you know? And so mm-hmm. people who I've, <laughs> a lot of people who I've had as friends in my life have been kind of like him. And let's yeah. talk about Virginia Madsen, who, mm-hmm. j- what is, what is the word for that performance? It just throughout, she's just yeah. bright. Grounded, and warm, grounding. Yes. And interested and pleasant. Just, yeah. She's a good person, but not an impossibly good person. Like a right. genuinely, she'll call you on your bullshit and kick you out of her life if you're if you're causing her too much strife. But she'll, yeah, she cares about uh, things and people. Right. She's such a caring person, and of course, that wine speech is famous and mm-hmm. attributed to her. That's what they, you know, she got Oscar nominated for that speech. Though the the, the whole performance is great, and Sandra O oh is good too. Yeah. You know, it's it's a lot of fun to watch them around wine country. It looks beautiful. It's idyllic. Uh it's that romanticized version of these of these sorts of tours. And right. the ending is so not the ending, but the the kind of the climax where they're where he's trying to retrieve the wallet is ridiculous. And yeah. it's kind of like totally believable under the circumstances. Because so much else right. happened, and it's kind of like, okay, this door is open, and I'm going to walk in and see if I can see this wallet, you know. And then you see it, and who are these people to you? And what are you going to do but go for it, you know? Right. Yeah, it's so over the top. It's like, if you want to be charitable, it's like a Tarantino moment. Right. But I I almost felt like it could it it, it was approaching like a Kevin Smith moment. Like, yeah. raunchy and and crazy but i don't know i feel like this movie by not throwing by not being full of moments like that maybe earns a climactic moment like that Mm -hmm. oh totally yeah had it been full of moments like that that would have been no good and then the real ending ish where he goes to the wedding and he meets his ex-wife after uh played by jessica hecht boy does she never age? Yeah. Because she yeah. has looked the same for easily two decades. Good yeah. for her. And right. she was she and I didn't know who she was back then, but now I'm a little more familiar with her as an actor. And I, I loved that she was the one who showed up as his ex wife at the end. Mm-hmm. And I almost wished that she had given up drinking just because and not because she was pregnant. I right. felt like that would have been like just moved on. Yeah, she, she, that's a part of her moving on that she couldn't deal with that anymore with him. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would have been good. That's just my one thought because I didn't think that there were really themes of him wishing he'd had children. It was it had been mentioned that he mm-hmm. didn't, but I didn't see that as being a central pining thing in his life. Right, right. And I loved the shot where he's where everybody's leaving the wedding, going the same way, and he goes the other way just kind of like mm-hmm. telling that he's going and you really you're the best man and you skip the reception, but I guess anything's possible. Right. And, and something that I didn't know was um, the bottle of wine, his prized bottle of wine that he brings to that little fast foodie establishment. 
Um, right. That kind of wine is a blend of a Merlot and a Cabernet Franc, the two hmm. kinds of wine that he disparages. Right. Because apparently among the aficionados, um, both of those kinds on their own aren't good, but when they're blended, it makes the best. Oh. And so, yeah. And so I kind of thought like, that's the thing that he's holding on to. And is that like he and Maya in a way where like on their own, they're, they're less good, but or there's a, he and is he at Hayden church? I don't know. Like on their own, they're less good, but together they're the best. Right. Right. And that's the thing yeah. that he saves and then relishes on the Jack side of the ending. I mean, again, I think this is also a pain thing and this, what a disaster that he goes through with the wedding. I mean, right. it's not a joyous occasion. You're watching it kind of with horror thinking, Oh my God. But it just kind of feels right for this movie that, yeah, they got married. Yeah. The, the crisis that he's having should have happened, you know, maybe on the occasion of the engagement or something, not the week of the wedding. Uh, that's where I'm so much of a people pleaser that I'll go through with anything if it's all planned and everyone's showing up, you know, where, I mean, but, and was, it didn't seem like the wife to be was a, a terrible person or treated him badly or was unreasonable. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like he was signing himself right. up for no, right. like he's just pathological. Yeah. Right. And it sounds like, well, if, if you're a man child that needs to just sow your wild oats and be free, then do that. You know, it seems right. like she's completely indulgent with you because you're not returning her calls. You have a cell phone. You're not talking to her. Just wondering where you are. You wrecked your friend's car because you didn't want to have to tell the truth about what happened to your nose. You know, mm. why not say you were attacked? Right. Nobody's looking into any of this. Right. Yeah, and he he all he he's obviously just following his you know his vibe, but then he beats himself up and he's crying and oh I can't live without her and it's such a like right it's a it's a sadly recognizable right type of thing. right I mean I understand the the draw to Rome and not to have commitments and then at the end of the day you're glad that you have the things that you have you know it's. I, I I get that. I I mean, it wasn't his story ultimately, right? He's not the center of that story. Right. The, I'm not sure how the ending was good though, because I think that Miles is going to continue on a downward spiral. Um, mm. where he's at, he's still in a job he hates. He's an alcoholic. He is self-centered. Just allowing Maya back into his life, I can't imagine that's going to go well. No, I mean she may elevate him to a degree, but yeah, how long can that? What what's greater, the elevation she provides or the the drag that he represents? I'll tell you which one, the drag, and she's not going to put up with it. You know, she's already been divorced and she's of her age. Why in the world would she put up with this again? What's your overall uh, deal with pain? Are you uh, a oh, fan on and off? Yeah, I'm I'm pro pain. I like uh, I liked election a lot on the rewatch. Did we do a yeah. show on election? We did not do a discussion on on election. I have revisited it fairly recently as well, yeah. and I I was kind of incensed and scandalized by that movie back in the day, and I loved revisiting it. Oh, I thought it was so good when I it's did good, the, when I did the rewatch. I didn't appreciate it so much at the time. 
Um, I remember liking The Descendants all right. And I did like Nebraska. About Schmidt, I barely remember. Yeah. That was such a strange film year that mm-hmm. like Jack Nicholson seemed like he was a part of the best actor race. And then Daniel Day-Lewis is ahead for Gangs of New York. What a terrible movie. Right. And then Adrian Brody out of nowhere wins for The Pianist. It was just such right, a weird year. Right. And I kind of forgot, like, what's about Schmidt about? I need to see Downsizing is what I need to see. Yeah, you should, I would love to know your take on Downsizing. I was going to say that next. Um, I probably need to rewatch it too. Bizarre movie. Bizarre. Because it looks like Alexander Payne does a concept comedy with special effects, but it just ends up being more of his kind of human weirdness, but just with a kind of bigger canvas. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, that would be an interesting one to talk about. Yeah, about Schmidt, I saw it in, in the in the movies in 2002, so I have only the vaguest recollection. Mm-hmm. I think I did. I remember being moved by it. He's kind of this uh, typical Jack Nicholson character, and then he he kind of starts sending letters to a sponsor child in Africa or something, and like I don't. Yeah, it's I need to, I need to check it out again. It's like heartwarming how Jack Nicholson in his golden years can be nice. That's like the only right. the only kind of movie right. he makes anymore. Yeah. All right, Dan. Um, well, yeah, I don't have much fun. else to say about it. Yeah. yeah, I just felt like saying it. So thanks for watching it. Sure. Hey, you know, it was it was fun. I'm glad because I appreciated it significantly more than the first time. So it may have uh, redeemed sideways in my in my experience. All right, I think that's going to do it for us, Dan. Um, I thank you once again for spending this time with me talking about movies. <laughs> of course, do it again sometime. Uh, I thought that I had a pick and then I already forgot it, but I'll, I'll, we'll be in touch. We'll communicate. Yeah, you, you let me know what it is. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. This has been our podcast. We are Dan and Josh. You can follow us both on Twitter and letterboxd. The show is at holds up pod on Twitter. And I might even remember to post this episode on that Twitter account this week. Hmm. And music as always is by Jonah Rapino. And we thank you very much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Thank you.